welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today's our last message in this series we've been doing uh, in the book of James, going verse by verse through the uh, uh, New Testament epistle of James. The uh, main theme or the intent that uh, the Holy Spirit laid upon uh, the heart of James to write these words uh, was to help us become more uh, spiritually mature. He's writing about Christian maturity. He, He deals with several themes, several things that can help us be more mature as Christians, but his last topic in the book deals with prayerfulness. Uh, if we want to be mature Christians, we, we also have to spend time in prayer. And the very last part of this theme of prayerfulness, uh, as he closes out uh, from verse, we're really looking at verse 17 through 20 today. I'll, I'm going to read the last part of verse 16 in a moment. But as he, uh, as he closes out this, uh, this book uh, that he's written, this letter that he's written, in, in my viewpoint, as I, as I read what's there, it, it seems like he is writing about how we need to pray for national troubles and we need to pray for church troubles or troubles that Christians or believers uh, may have in their lives, that we need to pray uh, about those things. Uh, as I was closing the message last week, I mentioned to you something that um, <clears throat> tradition tells us or history tells us, uh, not the Bible, but we're told by tradition uh, passed down that James believed so much in prayer that he had calluses on his knees. In, in other words, he really believes what he writes when he says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, he believed that prayer could affect change. He believed that, that prayer was uh, something that's active, efficient, effectual, uh, fervent, that, 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 it, that it operates powerfully in a fixed position is the tense that he uses in the Greek. And in other words, the, the same prayer that, that was powerful in, in the day of James is the same prayer that's powerful today. Uh, that's not changed. In a fixed position, prayer is powerful as it is carrying forth its work. God likes to work through the effectual prayers of righteous people. Now, you may start to think, well, I don't feel like I'm a righteous person. Uh, I understand that feeling, that, uh, that emotion. But the word righteous person does not mean that that individual is perfect. Uh, what it does mean is that God has proclaimed that person righteous because of their faith in him. None of us are perfect. James wasn't perfect. We'll talk some about that as we get into the message, but none of us by ourselves are perfect. So don't think that that means your prayers cannot be uh, effective. And you'll see more about that as we get into the message. Regrettably, sometimes, um, or a lot of the times, I'm afraid people only pray when they want to manipulate God to get something uh, that they want. Uh, And I think other times, some people only pray when they get in trouble, and, and they pray as a last resort for God to do something about it. Uh, both those things are wrong. Instead of us just praying what we want, we need to learn to pray what God wants. 
And instead of praying as a last resort, we need to let prayer be our first resource and that we depend upon prayer and and we call out to him. The the text today, I think, literally tells us that, that prayer can change a nation. That's a big statement. But I honestly believe as we look at these closing verses in James and we look at the background to what James writes about, we have to come away with the opinion that prayer can literally change the direction of a whole nation. And I would think that's something we ought to be interested in in this day and time. Prayer can also change an individual life, the direction and the pathway of an individual's life. So as we, uh, as we focus on how prayer can, can change a, a nation or an individual, let's, uh, let, let's walk through this and, and look at some, some things here. If you're following along, filling in the blank, to begin with, we're going to talk about praying for a wandering nation, for a wandering nation. Now, I'll read verse 17 and 18 in a moment. We're not going to bring that up just yet. Uh, but you may be looking at it in your Bible right now, and you might be thinking, well, it, it says that, that, that Elijah prayed for it not to rain, and it didn't rain, and he prayed again, and it rained. Where in the world do you get the idea about a wandering nation? Well, that's where we need to understand the background of the story of Elijah praying, and it not raining, and Elijah praying, and it raining again. So it will help us to look back in the book of Kings and get a little bit of history as to what why Elijah was praying that it wouldn't rain and as to why he prayed that it would rain uh, again. So I want to cover some highlights uh, out of Kings 16 through 18. It said, Ahab, uh, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. By the way, Ahab's the king in the day and the time that Elijah prays for it not to rain. Uh, It goes on, talking about uh, him and it said that he acted like it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of of Jeroboam. He took to his wife uh, Jezebel, uh, which if you remember the story of of Jezebel, she was a very wicked queen herself. I think I brought this up before when I've talked about Jezebel, but I've never met anybody literally named Jezebel. Have you? Anybody raise your hand? You ever met Jezebel? We don't think of that as a name to give our daughters, do we? I mean, she's a wicked king. She winds up getting thrown out the window or over the wall and, uh, and, and her head cracks open and the, the dogs are eating her face and everything else. I don't think I want to call my daughter, you know, <laughs> Jezebel because that's the history of what happens to her. But it goes on and it says he went and served Baal, a false god, and worshiped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So here's what Ahab's doing. He's building temples of false worship to idols. Ahab made an Asheroth, and Abraham did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In other words, not a very good leader, not a very good king. He was leading the nation. He and Jezebel were leading the nation on a pathway to worship idols, on a pathway that led away from the God of Israel. You have to factor that into the background of uh, the story as to why Elijah prayed for it not to rain. Continue on in the story. And uh, it tells us Elijah the Tishbite, uh, he went and he said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, 
There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's pretty brazen, isn't it? That's pretty bold to go and tell the king that might just say, well, chop his head off, you know? He goes in, he says, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And and the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here, talking about Elijah, turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is which is by the east of Jordan, and you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So even though there's not going to be any rain, and there's going to be drought and famine in the land, God's taking care of Elijah. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and went and lived by the brook, and uh, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he, he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there's no rain in the land. And we're not going to read all the story, but the rest of how God provided for him, he told him, well, now go live with this widow that doesn't have anything and her son. And both the widow and her son and Elijah figured out how God could provide for them, you know, in the midst of all that they were facing, which is a bunch of neat stories uh, there in, in that whole section. Later on, uh, after Elijah's told to, to go back and show himself before Ahab, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he, Elijah, answered the the king, I I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. That's the background of this story. That's why Elijah is praying for it not to rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years until he prayed again that it should rain. The reason that happened is that there was an ungodly king and queen leading the nation away from God. And God needed to give a wake-up call to the people that something was wrong. Now, guys, I think that's a pretty good wake-up call. We get a little bit antsy if it doesn't rain for three months, don't we? You remember time periods we've had that happen or other periods in our, in our nation or other parts of the world, you know, when there's been a, a, a drought and if it doesn't rain for several weeks like that, we, you know, I mean, I'm sort of thinking, what's wrong? What's up with that? Imagine three and a half years without any rain. We kind of get your attention, wouldn't it? We, we kind of make you think it might even get the attention of an ungodly king like Ahab. What in the world is going on? So that's why he prays, because this ungodly leadership is leading the nation away from God. Now, let me call time out. I want you to listen to me very, very closely. Before someone says, I went to day three church, and and all they talked about that Sunday was politics. I'm not talking about something that's political. I'm talking about something that's spiritual. And I don't care which side of the issue you fall on. I don't care how you're registered. I don't care which, which party you support. What I just said a moment ago, because some people may have jumped in their mind. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, let, let's talk some about Obama. Or let's talk about some of the others. For as I'm concerned, both sides have messed up. I think what we have to decide upon, no matter which party affiliation you may feel like you are, I think all of us have to agree our nation is a wandering nation. And we need to pray for a wandering nation, irregardless of what your politics are, you know. 
We ought to be Christians first. Regrettably, some people are stronger political party identified than they are Christianity identified. And we need to be Christians first. And our nation is morally adrift. And we need to be people that pray for God to do something to change our nation. Do you agree with that? You understand I'm not being political. Not telling you who to vote, not telling you who I voted for, but we are in a mess. Amen? Okay. Now, some of the rest of the background to this is that God had already kindly warned the nation of Israel about things like this taking place. To start with, in Deuteronomy 28, God told them, he said, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens will give rain to your land in its season and bless all the work of your hands. That's God giving them that promise as they go into the promised land if they followed him. But God also goes on and says this, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I have commanded you, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will strike you with waste and disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought and with a blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens of your head shall be as bronze or brass, as some translations put it. And the earth under you shall be like iron, hard because there's not been any rain, is what he's saying. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you're destroyed. That's the background. God had already said, if you follow me, I'll bless you. I will care for you. I will take care of you. That's what he told the nation of Israel. But if you decide to go away from me, there will be a price to pay. In light of all that, what we have take place now is a fulfillment, one of the fulfillments of God warning them that if you turn your back on me, this is what will happen. And and, and Elijah goes in and he tells the king, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Because the country is wandering from God and you're leading the country in the wrong direction and God needs to get your attention. And that's why he prayed in response to a wandering nation. And I will submit to you, you and I can also pray for a wandering nation. To begin with, as we start to look at the verses in James, you may be wondering, who in the world can pray like that? I mean, who can pray and affect change on a nation? Who can pray prayers that will literally change the direction that a nation is on. And the Bible tells us Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. His name means Jehovah's my God or the Lord is my God. Him having a nature like ours simply means that he was affected in similar ways that we're affected. He, he, he was human. He, he experienced some of the same sensations and, and issues that we have in life. And the reason I want to clarify that with you is because I think we have a tendency sometimes to think, 
You know what? All those people in the Bible, man, they were just kind of supernatural in some way, and we just can't be anything like them. And we'll even use it for an excuse sometimes for, for us not being all that God wants us to be, when the truth of the matter is, all those characters in the Bible are human just like you and I are. They faced temptation, they had failures, they had sin in their life, and yet God used them in marvelous ways. And we need to quit using the excuse of, well, we're not like the Bible characters. Yes, you are, more than you realize. They are like you, more than you realize. The issue is we need to get serious about following God and follow Him like they did and pray like they prayed. The characters in the Bible were, were not perfect. They all had issues except for one, and that's Jesus, and he was without sin. But he was tempted in every way just like we are, even though he was without sin. Think about some of the Bible characters for a moment, just to prove my point. Abraham used to live in a heathen country and worship idols. God brought him out. But even though God brought him out, he still had issues. He lied, he lied about his wife being his wife because he's afraid the king of Egypt would kill him. And he said, nope, that's my sister. So he wasn't perfect. Moses, who God used to lead the children of Israel out and who God gave the Ten Commandments to, Moses murdered an Egyptian. So Moses was not perfect. Moses hit the rock twice with a stick, and that rock was a a picture of Jesus Christ, the type of Jesus. And the fact that he flew mad and he hit the rock without God telling him to cost him going in the promised land. He wasn't perfect. King David was far from being perfect. King David committed adultery that led to murder. King David wasn't perfect, and yet God said, there's a man after my own heart. Peter wasn't perfect. Peter's all the time kind of breaking his foot off, sticking it in his mouth, lying mad, cutting people's ears off, things like that. Peter was not perfect. Elijah, that James is writing about, wasn't perfect. He, he, he had times that he was prone to depression. And would even go and say, and say God, just, you know, just kind of kill me. There's times that even though he'd have great victories in his life, he'd turn around and run from Jezebel like, like he wasn't anybody. So, so he was not perfect, but he was a righteous man. He was someone that God had made righteous through faith in God. And, and the reason I'm going through all that is simply to make the point of this. You can be like these people in the Bible who can pray prayers that can affect the change of a nation. Elijah, who had passions just like we have, who was a human being, he prayed a prayer that changed the direction of the nation of Israel. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that you and I can pray prayers that can change the direction of our nation if we'll just do it. He, he prayed and he prayed fervently and he, and, and he prayed again. God's promises of answer prayer are for all of his children, not just the ones that we think are the spiritually elite. You, you and I need to be willing to, to pray to affect change on the nation. 
Here's the only issue. Here's the criteria. If you know Christ is your Savior, you can pray and change the nation. Because you can be like an Elijah. None of those people were, were perfect. King Solomon, who was born through David and Bathsheba, who initially had the adulterous relationship, King, King Solomon, who also through the bloodline of, of Jesus comes, was not perfect. Now, he probably wished he could have been because he had, you, you men will appreciate this on Father's Day, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Are you guys getting that? Here, here's the point. We can't always keep one happy. He had 700. He better have been perfect. Huh? Imagine all the little stuff he maybe had to deal with from time to time. You guys are scared to death. Your wives are going to smack you upside the head. You won't even go along with me joking. But the point is, you and I can be the kind of person to pray and effect change. So if that's who can pray, how do we need to pray? What model do we need to follow as we pray trying to effect change on the nation. Well, well, the Bible talks about how Elijah prayed. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then, then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain in the earth board's fruit. So I would suggest we do this. Here's a model for how you and I ought to pray if we want to change our nation. To begin with, we need to pray fervently. We, we need to be willing to, to pray to God, the word even means to worship God, but literally the way it's used, the way James uses it, what James says about Elijah is this, he prayed and he prayed. I'm afraid too often we'll pray and we'll give up, or we'll pray one time and we'll think there. And yet we've got a model here of, of Elijah praying and praying and praying because of the direction that his nation was on, the direction that Israel had taken. He didn't pray once and give up. He prayed fervently. And if you and I want to see America come back to God, if you and I want to see our nation change the direction and the pathway that it's on, we better become people who will pray and pray and pray and pray again. We need to pray fervently. We also need to pray specifically because we're told that he prayed that it might not rain. That's not a general prayer. He was trying to pray something that he thought would grab the attention of the nation. That would kind of bring the nation to his knees and make them stop and think about the pathway that they're on. And make them maybe stop and start to look toward the heavens where that rain comes from and start to question, what's the cause of all this? He prayed that it literally, absolutely would not rain to moisten the earth whatsoever for three in a half years. It gets pretty dry in three and a half years, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? He said not even have dew fall on the land for three and a half years. He was very specific in his prayers because he wanted to grab the attention of the nation. Now, <laughs> I'm not necessarily suggesting that you and I pray 
that it not rain on America for three and a half years because I don't know that I want to go through that. But I am suggesting that you and I need to specifically pray prayers. If we recognize things are wrong, we need to pray about those things that are wrong. We need to specifically pray prayers that maybe can awake the conscience of our nation and awake the conscience of our leaders and help them see that we've drifted and help them see that we're a wayward nation and we need to return back to the pathway of following God and what God desires for our lives. We need to be willing to pray specific prayers. Elijah prayed specific prayer and it brought about a national revival. He, he went in, he told Ahab, hey, why don't you gather together all the prophets of Baal and we're going to meet up on Mount Carmel. And he came up with a contest. He told the prophets of Baal, he, he said, you get your offering together and you cry out to your God and I'll get my offering together and I'll cry out to my God. And the God that answers from fire with heaven, here's the deal. That's the one that's really God. Okay. And they said, all right. So they started crying out to Baal, and they were jumping around and screaming and cutting themselves, and Elijah kept telling them, maybe you need to scream a little bit louder. Maybe your God is not hearing you, but he never, ever answered. But here's what happened when Elijah prayed. The prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people, here's here's the reason, here's his goal, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Do you see what ultimately happened as a result of these prayers? They had a national revival. It had not rained for three and a half years. The reason I underlined that, licked up the water that was in the trench, I never really thought about that a lot before whenever I preached about Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. But think about that. The people are there gathered around. It's not raining in three and a half years. And now they're watching 12 containers of water be poured out on the ground. Wouldn't that mess with your head? You're thirsty, not raining for three and a half years. They're pouring water on the ground. That would even grab their attention a little bit more. But then when Elijah calls out to God, he answers with fire, proving that he's the real God and burns everything up, including the water. And the result of it was this. They got together, killed the prophets of Baal, and all the other people bowed on their face, and they said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. That's why we need to pray to effect change in our nation. We need to pray fervently. We need to pray specifically that God would do whatever needs to be done to lead people to get on their face and admit that he's the one that we need to follow, that he is God and follow him. I told you earlier, I specifically stepped down here to tell you earlier that I'm not trying to be political. I'm not trying to be Republican, Democrat, or Tea Party, or whatever it is you want to talk about. I'm simply saying our nation is in trouble, and we need to pray for our nation that God will bring about change in our nation. 
I would love to see our leaders follow their face before God as an example for all the nation and say, we have messed up. Our nation has messed up. The Lord is God. Jesus is the one that we need to follow. And I don't care which political party they're, they're with. If they would fall on their faces like that, I'm behind them. We, we, need, to, we need to pray in such a way to bring about, to bring about change in our nation. We need to pray specifically that we'd have a national revival. We also need, though, to pray beneficially. Beneficially. Because even though they fell on their face and said, the Lord is God, guess what? They still needed rain. They still had some physical, tangible needs. So the, the Bible says that he prayed, and, and once again, the word means to pray again. So he, he, he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed again. Now he's praying for rain to fall. Well, I, I guess what I want to communicate to you is this. We need, as God's people, to be more and better than just somebody that condemns leaders or our nation for being wayward. We need to pray fervently for our nation to change from the path that it's wandering on. We need to pray specifically for it. But we need to be more than just people who scream out with judgment and hellfire and condemnation. We need to be the kind of people that also pray beneficial prayers, compassionate prayers, because there were people suffering in that nation in that day without water. And there are people also who are suffering in our nation. Yes, our nation needs to change, and we need to pray about it, but we need to be compassionate people who will also pray beneficial things over the lives of people in our nation. And he went away. And he prayed for rain to come. He's praying a prayer of faith. Because in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, the Bible says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. He's praying a prayer of faith. God has said, Hey, I'm getting ready to do it. You go and let him know. Found a neat quote this week by a fellow by the name of Robert Law, and you've probably heard something similar to it before. But he says this prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, it's getting God's will done on the earth. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, you know, Father, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Not for us to pray, God, our will be done in heaven as we want it to be done on the earth. We, we need to pray what God's word is. We need to pray what God's will is. And that's what Elijah is doing. He's praying what God had already told him, that it's going to rain. And then in, in, in 1 Kings 18, verse 41 and 46, the Bible said, And Elijah said to Ahab, after he went to show himself to Ahab, he went to Ahab and he said, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. Not raining yet, don't even look like it. But he, go and he, tell, he goes and he tells him, go up and eat and drink because there's a, a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab 
went up to eat and to drink. I, I don't know why it may be our current situation in our nation, but I, as I read that this week, that struck me a little bit strange that Elijah would go to Ahab and, and all the turmoil and the trouble they're having, and, and he tells Ahab, well, you go up and eat and drink. It almost makes me think he's saying, well, that's all you've been doing. You go on and eat and drink. You've not been doing anything to change things, beneficial. You just go on and eat and drink. And, and, then, and then it said Elijah went on up to eat and drink. <laughs> I mean, Ahab did, while, while Elijah goes to pray. So the Bible says this, Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And when he went up and looked, he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. What's Elijah doing? He's praying and praying again, what the word meant. We looked at earlier. And at the seventh time he said, the servant comes back and says this, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, now get hold of the faith of, of Elijah. <laughs> There's a little cloud about the size of a man's hand, and look what Elijah says. He tells his servant, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. It's not raining yet. It doesn't really even look like it's raining yet. There's just a little cloud out there in the sky. And he tells his servant to go and tell Ahab, he better get on his chariot. He better get on down to Jezreel. Because if he don't hurry up and get ahead of the storm, he'll get stuck in the mud. That's how much it's going to rain. And in a little while, the heavens grew black in the clouds and, with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And then notice this. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Have you ever paid attention to what that's really saying? How was Ahab going to Jezreel? Chariot and a horse. You get that? How does Elijah go? He's running on foot. He girds himself up, but the Spirit of God was upon him, and he runs, and he gets there faster than Ahab could get there in a chariot being pulled by a horse. That's pretty fast, isn't it? Some of you guys think that you can run fast. You know, Lynn runs races. Some of you other guys run races. Jake uh, Hall's gone with the, uh, the youth. They're off at camp and everything. I think he won the race that we had here yesterday. Uh, so next time you see Jake, tell him, hey, old Elijah could outrun you. God moves upon him and he runs ahead. The, the point I want you to get out of all of that is simply this. We, we need to pray for a wandering nation. Elijah prayed for a wandering nation, and he affected change in the nation. They had a national revival take place. Ultimately, Ahab is killed, and so is Jezebel. But it started out, the change started out by him praying for the nation to change. And you and I need to pray for our nation to return to God from being a wayward nation. But we don't only need to pray for our nation, we need to pray for wandering Christians too. You see, a nation is made up of individuals. And we need to pray also for Christians who are 
are wandering away from God in their, in their lives. Look at the last two verses of, of the book of James. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, he is not writing. Some people take this. I even saw some commentators take this and talk about winning lost people to Jesus. That's not what he's writing about. Should we win the lost to Jesus? Yes. Other passages clearly tell us that. That's not what he's writing about here. What he's writing about here is that there's someone who is a Christian already and they made a mistake in their life. They're on the wrong pathway in their life. They're going the wrong direction in their life. And you and I need to do what we can to turn them around. And the context, why it does not specifically mention prayer, has already been placed in the context of this pastor's scripture where he was dealing with prayer. We need to be praying for and doing other things we can to help reach a a Christian, a believer that is on the pathway of sin, that's wandering down the wrong pathway to save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Two things I want you to get real quick because we're about out of time. Uh, the first one is, is this, uh, recognition of sin, recognition of sin. He said, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth, he's writing to believers, people of the same gospel womb that have believed in, in Jesus. If there's anyone wandering, if, if they are, they're, they're deceived, they're wandering away, they're, they're being affected by, by fraudulent uh, things in the world, doctrine, whatever. They're wandering away from the morality, the, the orthodoxy, the piety they ought to have in, in their life. There's this separation between where they should be with God because of the choices they're making in their life. They've walked away from the truth, which is God's word. The reason recognition of sin is the first step to helping someone who's wondering, how can we help them without pointing out that they've got a problem? Do you understand that? Now, I'm not saying we're to be judgmental and beat them up and look down on them and gossip about them and talk about them and things like that. I am saying this. If it's a believer and we see that they're wandering in the wrong direction in their life, in a loving way, we need to intervene. We need to point out to them, hey, that's wrong. That's not God's will. The Bible says that's wrong. That's not beneficial for you. That's going to hurt you. That might even kill you. It's okay for us to point out sin in someone's life. How can we help them without, first of all, helping them see what they're doing is wrong? Does that make sense? So the first step in turning someone that's wayward is recognizing their sin, helping them recognize their sin. The second step is this, restoration from sin. Because he said, if that person is wandering, they're wayward, and we bring that person back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Guys, to save time, I'm not going to do all the word studies. Just keep, go back to the verses, please. Back to the verse. Just hold it there for a minute. He says, let us know. And that means let us absolutely know. If someone is wandering and we, and we bring that person back. He uses the phrase, brings him back twice. That emphasizes the goal of what we ought to be about. When we see another believer in sin, our goal is not to gossip about them. Our goal is not to kick them while, while they are down. Our goal is to try and 
restore them, to turn them around from their wandering and put them back in the fellowship with God that they ought to have. That's what the goal is. We might save their soul, and and the word that he uses for soul there is not the exact same word that we talk about our souls going to heaven or hell. It actually talks more about our, our physical life. We might save that person from death if we turn them around from the wrong direction that they're on. You see, the Bible talks about a sin unto death. Paul even wrote this when he was writing about the Lord's Supper. He says, some of you are sick and some of you have died because you've dishonored the Lord's Supper and you're not taking the Lord's Supper in the right way. The goal then for us is this. The goal, when we see an individual that is wandering, the goal is to help them see the error of their ways, recognize their sin, us recognize it, not try and encourage it, not try and ignore it, not try and sweep it under the rug. We're to try and help them identify their sin to where they understand that it's wrong. And then we're to help restore them, help turn them around in the right direction, back on a pathway with Christ before it costs them their life. We need to pray over an individual like that and pray that God would restore them. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8. Above all, keep love in one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. It's not ignoring their sin. It's trying to restore them from their wandering, from their sin in a loving way. Ephesians four eleven says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ. James began this epistle by encouraging people to be steadfast when they're going through trials and temptations. He closes the epistle by encouraging us to help care for each other, to help guide each other, to help each other stay on the pathway we should stay in following Christ. The letter of James, a, a commentator, put it like this this week as I was studying. I like the way he put it. It said, the letter of James is Christianity with his sleeves rolled up. I mean, it's getting down and dirty in, 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 what, in real Christian life. In, in how we, we need to be Christians who are mature in following after Jesus. Elijah prayed for the nation. And he effected a great change in the nation. We need to pray for our nation today. I don't care which side of the political spectrum you fall upon. We need to pray for our leaders. And before someone gets all jammed up in their mind because of politics and say, well, I can't pray for that one or I can't pray for this one. We're told in the Bible commanded by God through the pen of the Apostle Paul, giving instructions to the church about how to pray, one of the first things we're to pray for are the leaders. And before someone starts saying, well, I just can't pray for that Republican, or I can't pray for that Democrat, or I can't pray for that president or that governor, or, you know, whatever the case is, 
I want to remind you of something. When Paul wrote those words to Timothy, Nero was the king. Yeah, that's the guy that was crucifying Christians and cutting their heads off and using them to be like oil lamps out in his garden and stuff like that. That's who was king. And yet, under divine inspiration, they were told to pray for them. So if you can pray for a king like that, you can pray for President Obama or whoever else it might be. If we're going to affect real change, it's going to be by praying for the leaders, not just being critical, not being political, but being spiritual and praying for them. In the Phillips translation, James chapter 5 and verse 16, the first verse I read today is like this in the Phillips translation. Tremendous power is made available through a good man's earnest prayer. John and the band's going to come back up. I want to ask you during this song, if you'll join me at the front while we pray for our nation. No politics. But as we all admitted earlier, our nation is adrift. Our nation is wandering. Our nation needs revival. Our nation needs restoration. We need to pray for our nation. And as we're praying for our nation, you may be someone that's struggling with some things in your life and you need someone to pray for you. And I encourage you, if that's the case, to to come up here to me as we're praying and I will either pray for you or get someone else to pray, pray for you. But I invite you to come and let's pray, pray for our nation. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.